Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. So uh, I am uh, from Lake Mills. A couple of background things for me. Uh, we are uh, been in Lake Mills for 12 years. My wife and I we have four kids and ministry is really good. I was just thinking that as I was driving over here that God is way more gracious and generous to me than I deserve and ministry has been good, and um, there is a people of God in Lake Mills at Real Hope Community Church that send their greetings, really, because we have that community of faith, that brother and sisterhood in Christ, and they are definitely with us and praying for you guys, and as Shannon and I have gotten to know each other and the churches around our movement of Converge, it's just a joy to get to partner with other churches who have ministry in different contexts, in different places. Madison is a way different place than Lake Mills, but people still need to hear the gospel. Amen? Jesus Christ, that he loves, that he saves, that he's here to reconcile us with God. And I would also add this, that you are blessed to have a godly man in Shannon and to lead and to minister here. And sometimes in pastoral ministry, you don't really feel that all the time, but he is a good man of God and he's godly. And for for example, this way, if I were to give him a rating, like an evaluation rating, not that he's ever gotten one of those, but I would give him like a two that maybe he like needs a little work, maybe. And maybe he could earn a five, like you're doing way above and beyond. I listen to his messages all the time. I did. I wanted to really understand what you guys have been talking about. So I would give him a little higher than a two. I would give you like a two and a half. But we have room to grow. But he is, he's a good man. He's a godly man. Uh, I want to just challenge us this morning and look to God's word together. I understand you guys have been going through a, a series, the gospel over everything, and just how that penetrates everything of who we are as believers, and really challenging us, meeting the high invitation of Jesus, as has been talked about, but also accepting the high challenge that he puts in front of us. And so that is spiritual life. That's life with God. And so as we look to God's word, I hope that we can glean from that. So I'm just going to read um, from 1 Timothy a few verses in chapter 4. There, if you have a Bible or phone, you can open it up or uh, open that Bible app up to whatever, whatever it is you use. And I think it'll be on the screen. But um, I'm going to read some verses and I'm going to pray. I'm just going to ask God to speak to us. I think that's super important as you open up God's word. Sometimes I can get in the habit of opening his word and never just asking him to speak. I just get in this rhythm of reading and that's fruitful, but I really want to challenge us to just ask God, would you just speak to my heart in this unique way that only you do by the power of your spirit? So I'm going to read 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 9. Timothy was one of Paul's letters kind of towards the back of the New Testament there. And this is what he says. To Timothy, Paul is writing this. He says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. And that's the phrase that I really want you to latch on this morning. Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value... Godliness is of value in every way, as it holds a promise for this present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. I invite you to pray. If you've never done that, maybe you've listened to a thousand sermons. Maybe you've listened to just one. Maybe this is your first one. 
But when you open up God's word, just pray. And I'm going to let you just silently say, God, would you just speak to my heart? Would you just clear all that junk, that, that distraction away and speak to my heart in a way that only you can speak? And then I'll pray for us together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, for its truth, for your goodness and love. Father, thank you that you speak through your word. It's not just some book of antiquity or some irrelevant words to us, but it's your living word made alive by your spirit. And I pray that you would just move now in each heart. You know exactly what we need to hear. Each person here, you know exactly what words we need to hear. And Father, I do pray that we, myself included, would be open enough to receive them, that we would not be so closed off or so hard-hearted that we wouldn't be able to hear. So soften our hearts, open our ears. We praise you, we praise you for the life that we find in Jesus. We pray these things in his name. And all God's people said, Amen. So if I asked you what the most rigorous training you have ever been involved in What would you say to that? The most rigorous training, it could be a work thing or it could be a week you spent training for this or in many ways, think of it as physical training. Many of us maybe have gone through spurts. Maybe you say, well, did I come here to get guilted and shamed today? No, maybe you're not in the best of physical shape, but maybe you went through a series of training, whatever that is. I understand that CrossFit was here in Madison this last week, yeah? Think about that kind of training. Those are some of the toughest men and women around to just devote them their lives to training like that. That kind of training takes work. Ironman training, I have a friend that just finished training for that. If you ask my friend Jason, he would say that is some of the toughest training in Ironman event, three different events of swimming and cycling and then running. And most people in the Ironman training, their swimming is the weakest. And so he said, I had to really train and hit the pool every morning and just train myself over and over in this way of building stamina so I can compete. But people that know those kind of rigorous training events know that it's tough. And it's demanding, and it's physically straining, and it's mentally straining. And it's not a joke. It's training. That's why it's called training, this repetitive, behavioral, pattern-setting thing about your life. But you know it takes work, and it takes commitment, and it takes devotion. Many of us probably don't do that, but many of us in this room might liken this to a gym membership. People love gym memberships. Does anybody have a gym membership in here? You love gym memberships because gym memberships are you just go when you want to, you do what you want to, but you're in that way you want to get in physical good shape and you want to train. But gym memberships are kind of interesting because it's this high invitation, right? Everybody's welcome to buy a gym membership. But on the other hand, you know that if you put forth the effort, that determines the worth of that membership. You know if you step into that gym every day of the week, that's going to determine whether that's worth it. You know if you set that New Year's resolution and get that gym membership like everybody else and maybe go like once or twice and then you kind of fall off the wagon, that determines the worth of that gym membership. And so it's high invitation. Everybody's welcome to it, but not many people really jump into that and it's worth the challenge of the training. You see, many in the church treat following Jesus like a gym membership. We love the idea that he welcomes us to himself. We love the idea that we could belong somewhere. That is a lot like a gym membership. Somebody 
can say in conversation they belong there or they have that. And we love that in the church. We love getting together with the people of God and belonging. But they are not quite sure. They just really want to spend a lot of time at the feet of Jesus. Doing what He requires us to do. Committed to what He wants us to be committed to. Because it's going to be tough. Because as you've been hearing for weeks, it's going to be a challenge. Because he might say some things to us or ask us to do some things that will really, really be a struggle. He might ask us to give up things that we just don't want to give up. He might ask us to commit to things that we just don't want to commit to. And it's really, really hard to train ourselves to grow in that desire and not just eat what you want and get into this world of maintenance. We're good at that. I'm good at that physically and sometimes spiritually, just getting into this mode of maintenance. And I want to challenge us that the spiritual life is not one of maintenance. It is one of growth and moving forward. You know, Leslie said it earlier, and I believe it with my whole heart. The message of Jesus is not come or invite himself. You're invited to him and to come to him and stay as you are. It's come to him and he says, let me change you. Let me grow you. Let me stretch you. And this morning, I believe Paul is telling Timothy that you really can't maintain a spiritual life, a life following Jesus. You have to train yourself in the way of Jesus, and it's hard work. And so in context, understanding Timothy, this letter that Paul is instructing this young pastor, and he writes Timothy to encourage him and build him up and train him how to be a minister of God and to minister in this church and to lead. And he's exhorting him that it's crucial this spiritual training, and even more valuable as we read in the text than physical training. He says physical training is good. Don't get me wrong. It has value. It's good to take care of your bodies, the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's one of the ways you worship God. And maybe you've heard it said this way, cleanliness is close to... That's not actually in the Bible, but it is true. John Wesley preached a sermon and people kind of just associated. There's so many things that aren't actually in the Bible, but that is one that became famous. And what he meant, it wasn't a bad thing, was that cleanliness, living a pure life on the outside, was right next to living a holy and disciplined life on the inside. The motive was right, that we should take care of the outside of the cup, as Jesus would have spoken about with the Pharisees, saying, challenging them, saying they look good on the outside, but their inside is just dirty and filthy. He's saying both. John Wesley's saying it's good to have the outside of the cup look good and to train and to, to be you know, cognizant of that. But he said everything flows from your heart, what's inside. Jesus made quite clear that the testimony that comes of, of who you are as a Christ follower really flows with deep, from deep inside of you. What is in your heart as you take care of your soul? Jerry Bridges, famous author, uh, Pursuit of Godliness, a lot of, a lot of stuff. He said it this way, and I think it's really encompassing. He says, are we, the church, training ourselves only in Christian activity, as good as that may be, or are we training ourselves, first of all, in godliness? The church is really good at Christian activity. We just are. Some churches are way better at that than others, programming themselves and meeting together, but nothing is ever deep in the training of godliness. And so it's a challenge there. The same, same idea of a gym membership. The church is good at just belonging, but are we growing first in godliness? Now, to understand this rightly, we have to know what godliness is. Godliness is 
Holiness in the New Testament is a better way to understand that if you know holy, right living, being pure. And the word godly or godliness is used 15 times in the New Testament, nine of them coming from this letter from Paul to Timothy. Another way that we could define godliness or maybe a better way that you and I could understand is just this phrase, devoted to God. That's what Paul was saying to Timothy. I want you to train yourself in being devoted to God. Godliness is more than Christian character. It's a character that springs only from a devotion to God. So godliness equals devotion to God. When Paul is asking Timothy, I want you to train yourself in godliness. He's saying, I want you to train yourself to be devoted to God. He doesn't just say, I want you to just be devoted to God. A lot of times in the church we do that as leaders. We say, I just want you to do this, or I just want you to follow Jesus. And you say, well, how? I don't know. And so Paul is saying, I want, to, I want you to train yourself, and I'm going to show you how you can do that. He says, it's key to note, though, that he says, I want you to train yourself. You see, that's another thing as we begin in here. It's not for others to train him forever to move him, Timothy, from spiritual milk to solid food. That's what the Bible talks about, about being mature. Now, Paul poured into him, don't get me wrong, and it's great to have a mentor and a, a discipler and somebody who comes alongside you. I've had several in my life who have just poured into me, but many in the church, and it's a sickness of the North American church, I think in particular, expect others to continually feed them. One of my great desires in our church at Real Hope Community Church in Lake Mills is that we create self-feeding people. What do I mean by that? People that can read the Word of God and teach it to others. People that are consuming and taking in. And they don't rely on me from Sunday to Sunday to teach them, to feed them. And I would even go so far to this. As I've been in ministry for a relatively good amount of time, one of the things that things that probably drives me most crazy when I hear it, and I would challenge you as a church, never say this to one of your pastors or elders. I sometimes have come, people have come up to me, and they just said this about our church or another church. They said, you know what? I'm just not getting fed. Like, if you want to, like, make me, I don't get mad about a lot of stuff, but if you want to make me, like, really mad, come up to me after this service and say that. I'll never get asked to come here again. I hate that. I hate that because what people are saying is, you know what, I just, I just, I don't, I don't know if like I'm really getting fed here. And my response is generally, do you actually ever show up at the table with your fork in hand? Is that what you do? Or do you just come expecting for other people to just like do this thing for you? To like follow Jesus on your behalf? Is that what you expect? Or do you put yourself in an environment where you show up to the table hungry for the word of God and what Jesus wants to do in your life and you sit there with fork in hand saying, feed me. I want to learn and I'm just going to do this thing. I'm not going to be good at it. I just love that line in that song, if grace was an ocean. God's grace is so good. We're not good at this stuff. Like I am part of this club that we're in being not good of this Today, I just, we're not. And God is gracious because if our attitude is of that, that we want to come and sit at the table, he just says, you know, I'll just, I'll just show you my grace. But you have to desire me. That's the call that Jesus made. 
Like, I want you to follow me, but you have to just be devoted to that. And Paul is saying, Timothy, train yourself in that. Be responsible for yourself in the discipline of that training. You determine what you're going to put into that and how you're going to devote yourself to that. You're responsible what you feed yourself with. And if you're responsible with what you feed yourself with, you're also responsible with what you don't feed yourself with, with what you consume and what you take in. And it's crucial that you take in the right thing. Why? You have to understand the context of this passage here. Why is Paul telling Timothy to train? Why is it so important? You see in verse 7 that Paul tells Timothy to have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. To understand this, you need to read a little bit backwards, so thank goodness I'm here to help us do that. In verses 1 through 5, this is what it says. Right before this, Paul says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, so the time of Jesus, like Pentecost, the Spirit getting poured out, and in the times we're living in now, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars who con- whose consciences are seared. It's just like people in the world that like they'll just do anything because it doesn't matter. That's what that means there. It's just totally like whatever goes. Who forbid marriage, require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made, verse 5 here, holy by the word of God and prayer. So he's telling Timothy, these are the two things that are super important. And Shannon didn't ask me to say this, but I'll say it since he mentioned it. This prayer meeting tonight, that is like one of the least attended gatherings of the church today. And as a pastor, I sometimes don't want to go myself because for a couple of reasons. Sometimes, being honest, I just don't feel like it. And the other part is I just know that not a lot of people are going to show up. So I'll challenge you as a church I'll challenge you just the way Jesus challenged the people that that he was around. You don't have because you don't ask. That should be for all of us. Come together and pray tonight. I would even, if you got out your phone right now and like talk to Siri, whoever you need to talk to, to like set that reminder to come and pray at 630, I would encourage you to do that. That is a huge thing that's lacking in the church. And Paul is saying, prayer and the word, that is what is going to be your form of food and discipline if you feed yourselves. And he says, you need to understand that later times there's going to be all this garbage around you, these distractions in life, these silly myths, this new gospels, these false gospels, legalism, you name it, from one extreme to another, whether it's the prosperity gospel, if you just do whatever you want and try to live a righteous life and God will bless you the way you want, or legalism which says, like, I need to do all this stuff to earn God's favor. And Paul is saying there's going to be all this garbage in the world. And what you need to know is that you need to devote yourself and train yourself in the Word of God and prayer. You're not going to be perfect in that, but you just should desire to be godly, to train yourself, to avoid all the crazy stuff out there in the world. And Paul is not as concerned with Timothy learning about all those things. Sometimes in the church, people come up to me and they say, Pastor, did you hear about this particular thing and this particular thing in the world? And I I don't often watch the news a lot and I don't often follow all that stuff. And my point in that is I'm not like always knows in the Bible I should be more, but I'm concerning myself with what God wants. I don't need to pay attention to all that other stuff. Because when Paul says that to Timothy, he's saying, when all that other stuff comes up, you'll know what's right because you've been committed to the Word. You've been with me spending time in prayer. And the church should never panic because of false teachings in the world. 
Instead, it should carry on in faithfulness. Like a lot what you shared this morning, Karina, just God is wanting me to be faithful and moving forward in faithfulness. So we train. Paul is really counseling Timothy in how to be a good minister. There's that Greek word diakonos, which is a good servant of Jesus. So if you came here today and you desire, no matter where you are, to be a good servant of Jesus, you know what, Lord, I, I don't get this right. I fail. I trip over my own feet at times. But I came in here this morning with a desire to be a good servant of Jesus. Paul is writing this to Timothy and he's saying, train yourself to be that, a good minister, one that can grow in a way that he can pour into others. Now, we said that godliness was a a devotion to God. And I think you have this image back there, this triangle image. I want to show you something as you look at this. This is a super simple image, this devotion to God. If you're going to train yourself in godliness, and I want to work my way around this triangle briefly, that there's really three parts of how you can do this. And if, if an Iron Man is a physical event, then this in this spiritual way, this training, is these three events that you need to possess. And so as I move through them, think about each one in the way of your spiritual life. Do I do this? Am I committed to Christ in this way? The first one is the fear of God. Do you have a reverence and fear of God in your life? Is that displayed in a way that says godly people are God-fearing people? Now, I'm not talking about a I'm scared of God. I'm saying I'm in awe and reverent towards God because it's impossible to be devoted to God if one's heart is not filled with a fear of God, knowing who He is. And that is something that's being lost in the church today. People come in to God's presence in some flippant way, like it's just an easy kind of whatever God's going to just invite. And there's, there's no like awe of who he is and his majesty. And sometimes in the church today, we just treat God like he's a friend. And Jesus was a friend to sinners. I'm not saying that. But God is this holy, majestic, amazing God. Do you come to him with a reverence and awe? God always has desired for people to fear him and his power and greatness. In fact, in Jeremiah 32, 40, it reads this. This is God saying, I will make them with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And this is what he says. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. God says, I will put the fear of me in their hearts, not in a scared way, but in a way that they know who I am and how serious I am. You see, so many people in the church are drawn to Jesus. And that's a good thing. That's a great thing because Jesus himself is attractive. But many just like this picture. Just close your eyes and people love the brown-haired, bearded, blue-eyed Jesus. You know the one with the white robe and the blue sash. The one that just has his hand on little kids' heads and he's just so welcoming and you want him to be like that in your life because you can just do whatever you want and Jesus is just going to be waiting there with arms, like like his arms usually aren't out in the picture. He's just sitting there calmly inviting himself towards you and we love that Jesus. He's so gracious. He looks at us on the wall in the living room And we don't really want him to look into our hearts, but we just always know he's going to be there 
for us. And we love the welcomeness of Jesus. And that is who he is. I'm not saying that he's not a Jesus that invites. He has a high invitation. But Jesus was super clear about one message. He was there to bring salvation. And it was salvation from what? It was from the wrath of God on sinners. That's what he was there to do. He was love. He was grace. He was all of those things. But he was very clear. I'm here to save you from the wrath of God. From who God is in His holiness because of your sin. And I'm that way. And you need to repent of your sin and your pride that led to all this brokenness and chaos in your life that I am that way to a holy God. I bridge that gulf. God is love and mercy, but He's also justice and wrath. And the goal here of Jesus is to reconcile that through His love. And that's what that covenant verse in Jeremiah is all about. Jesus modeled that relationship to His Father. Look at how he even prayed, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I have a 15-year-old daughter, a 12-year-old son, 9-year-old daughter, and a 7-year-old boy. And, and as the years have gone, I've watched my kids. They know we want to pray and teach them how to develop spiritual disciplines. But my daughter's a teenager, and she's not here so I can share this. And she's just in that funk of teenagehood. And sometimes we'll pray, and we'll go around, we'll ask each of them to pray, and she'll like roll her eyes at me. Like she does, and she'll be like, all right, fine. Dear God, thank you for this food. And I'm just like, thanks. Amen. And sometimes I'll look at her, and I'll have that moment, all right, I don't want to, like, take that step and be that dad who, like, gives you this bad image of God. Like, who do? But at the same time, I said, Michaela, who, who do you think you're talking to? Like, who are, you, who are you asking? Is this out of just, like, your dad's making you do this? She would say, yeah, you just asked me to. But I say, who, sometimes our attitude and our spiritual disciplines are not much different than that. We say, God, I, just, I want you to just work, and would you just bless this? And it's just real flippant. Do you have a fear of God? Do you know who he is, a holy God? Do you come to him in this way of reverent fear? The truly reverent and God-fearing believer sees God first in his glory and majesty and holiness before he ever sees him in his love and mercy and grace. You see who he is first in that way. Fearing God is wise, Proverbs 1.7 tells us that. And in Job it says that it leads to repentance when you fear God in that way. So how is that? The second one is this, your desire for God. What does your desire level for God look like in this spiritual training? Desire has to be there. And you know that if you've ever stepped into some physical training program or you're going to go work out, you have to want to do it. You have to put yourself out there and say, I want to do that. It's one thing to desire it, but it's a whole other thing to do it. And the action itself really shows if desire is there. So you could say, for instance, I really want to follow Jesus with my whole heart, and I want to just give my life to him, and I want to give my life to serving him. And it's a whole other thing to go and do it then. Or what Paul says, to train yourself in some patterns of doing it. Many of us want to desire God. Many of us might sit here and say, I really do want to grow. But my challenge here to you is, what are you doing about that? Sometimes we want spiritual growth to just happen. I remember as a young believer, all the way, I looked at other people and said, why can't I be like that? And I just want to have their love for God. And what God was reminding, reminding me through this long process of growing me, this takes some time. 
You can't just look at all the CrossFit guys and say, man, I just want a couple tattoos and some muscles, and I'll go do that. That's not going to happen overnight. And sometimes we treat spiritual life like that. Well, I would do that. I just want this heart. But what are you doing to train yourself in that way? To walk with God is to know God. What are you doing to know Him better in your life? Listen to these words from Proverbs 19. Desire without knowledge is not good. And whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. When you desire God, you have to also desire to know him through his word. Proverbs says there, it's not good when you desire something like that without knowledge. My 12-year-old son, Jeremiah, he is an amazing kid when I watch him want to do something. He's one of these kids, and we have access now through the internet and just all these YouTube videos of all this stuff. When that kid gets an idea in his head, he will research the life out of everything he can find, get his hands on. He, he fundraised for a football fundraiser, and so what does this kid do? He hops on like fundraising tips, And he reads all this stuff, and he knows it. And the kid raises like thousands of dollars. This kid, it doesn't matter if it's paper, airplanes, you name it. He builds stuff, and he just desires to soak up all this knowledge. That's what he is. And I look at him, and he's this kid that when he sets his mind to something, he's going to intake all this information to get there. Do we live like that spiritually? I want to know God in this way that I just want to fill my heart my mind, my soul, with everything of who he is. I want to just know him better and better. There's a saying about maturity and following Jesus that if you are really mature in Christ, you know that you're not really mature yet. A lot of people say that. Like if you you have some Bible-believing Christians that tote around and say, I'm super mature, and I usually walk up to them and say, the fact that you said that is probably a good indicator that you have a little ways to go yet. But most of us, are, who are maturing know, man, the closer I get, I say to my end or the walking with Jesus over a long haul, the more I look at myself and just go, man, God is so gracious with me. I have so much to learn. And that's what Paul is challenging Timothy with. He says, you need to grow into that maturity where you start eating the solid food, food that will build this discernment, but you have so much room to grow. In Hebrews 5, he says, solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. He says, Timothy, train yourself. Keep eating of this food. Keep walking with Jesus and taking your commitment level and this challenge to a whole new level. And more and more will you have trained yourself to know what is good and bad for you. And you'll get more disciplined and more focused on who Jesus is as you follow him and you'll mature. And the more you mature, the more you'll see how holy God is and how sinful you are and your dependence for him will just grow leaps and bounds. So I challenge you, how are you doing with your fear of God and how are you doing in your desire to know God? And then finally this, how do you love God? We just sang about that, how he loves us, but how is your love for God That's best expressed, and I know you talked about this a couple weeks ago, your worship. Only the godly man or woman can truly appreciate the love of God. Why? Because you see clearly the infinite gap between a holy God and a sinful creature. And you see that love bridged in the person of Jesus. 
First John stuff, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. The love of God has no meaning apart from the cross of Calvary. A godly person sees what God has done in delivering his son for us, for our sin. You see yourself in shame. You see God as holy. And you say, God would do that for me? A truly godly person never forgets that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. Apart from Christ, I can do nothing. I am nothing. But God is different. He's love. And his invitation is super high for us in that. Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners, many of us come and try to polish up our act to God. And Jesus says, you were still sinners and I came to you. That's who I died for. And how much can we then appreciate God and his deep love for us and it's conditioned, if you will, it's conditioned by our desire and fear of him. As we train ourselves, we understand God's love. It's conditioned by how much we fear him, how much we see that gap. And as you grow in faith, you understand God loves me despite the yuckiness of me and of who he is. As I get to know God more and more, I learn of his character. And then I look at myself and why does he even love me? Why does he even care about me? And my love for him grows in that as I see how he meets and closes this gap in his son Jesus. The more that we gaze upon the majesty and holiness and revere and worship him in his magnificence and understand who he is, the more we're gripped by the love that he has for us. And that's a love for sinners that overwhelmed and compelled and controlled. And Paul made this reference in 1 Corinthians It was the love of Christ that compelled him or trained him or conditioned him towards a greater devotion, a love that motivated him towards a deeper love through giving his life to the gospel. And loving God is worship. It leads to sacrifice and obedience and pleasing him and walking with him daily and knowing Jesus personally. All of that high invitation stuff met with that high challenge that Jesus is going to challenge us in life. And the difference between someone who is godly and someone who is not is best recognized in somebody who has moved from self-centeredness to God-centeredness. Like, I'm going to give my whole life all into this stuff. In other words, someone might say before they knew Christ, you know what, I had no room for God in my life, my thoughts. And you slowly start to see God take over those areas in lordship of your life, of the way you think, of the things you give your time to. And maybe those things don't always change. Maybe you're so committed to like physical activity, God starts to challenge your heart like, are you doing this for my glory? Or what could you be doing with these gifts that I've given you? Someone that moves from a self-centeredness to those who say this in Psalm 16:8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. So as we close, I'll ask you these questions. How do I train? What do I need? I'd be a terrible preacher if I didn't say, go and do this. How do I do this? 1 Timothy 4 gives us that clue when I talked about highlighting the word and prayer in the believer's life. And I'm just going to fly through this list for time, but let me show you just real briefly what the word of God does for you in your life when you intake it. This is, I'm going to give a bunch of scripture references. You don't, you're not going to remember them all. It's no big deal. In 2 Timothy 3, it's profitable for teaching and correcting and training. In Hebrews 4, it cuts through your heart and discerns your motive. In Psalm 119, it keeps your lives pure 
from sin when you have the Bible in your heart. In Psalm 118, it also gives us a direction. In John 17, it sanctifies you. In Isaiah 55, it accomplishes its purpose. In James 1, it saves your soul. In John, 1 John, it reveals Jesus and completes our joy. It is crucial that you grow in the knowledge of God's Word. So how are you doing that? Hosea 4 tells us that if you don't do that, it will lead to all kinds of sin and failings in following Jesus. And you have to train yourself in growing in it. And as you do that, Here's the marvelous thing. If you ever want to be a missional, evangelical, I want to tell others about Jesus. Here's the marvelous thing. As you grow in this, people will actually see who Jesus is and you won't even be after that. As you grow in godliness, Hebrews 12 says, to strive for holiness. And then he says this, for without it, no one will see the Lord. Like if you try to go impress others with Jesus, like without yourself first desiring and fearing and loving him, you'll just miss. Our desire should be to train ourselves in godliness, to go out in the world. People see who we are, and the glory is not for us, but they see the Lord working in our life. So Damascus wrote, it is time to train yourself in godliness, to accept the challenge, to start working out, to train for the spiritual Iron Man, and it takes a lifetime. The reward is on the day you meet Jesus, the day you cross the finish line. So what do you do when you walk out these doors today? Let me suggest simple things. First and essentially, pray. Wherever you are, James 1 says, ask God for wisdom. I never have seen God as a carrot dangler in my life. Like, oh, you want this one? Oh, you better try harder. He says, ask. Have you ever asked God, God, I... I like fail a thousand times. I don't even know where to go. I don't know what you want me into. Ask him. Come and ask him tonight. God, would you just give me direction? Would you just heal what needs to be healed? Would you just move in me in a way that you need to move? That's the first thing. The second thing when you train, and I know this all too well, is you might need to purge some spiritual junk food in your life. That'll require change. It'll require repentance. It'll require faith. I love candy. My wife has it all over the house. I don't know why. I don't know if it's an instrument of Satan or what the deal is, but I seem to find it in all these places. And when I want to eat right, like there's candy and more candy, and I have to like physically remove that stuff from my presence. My daughter, even before I left, I drank coffee this morning. My nine-year-old wakes up, and there's a bowl of Skittles on the island, and, and I ate them, and she said, Dad, did you just eat Skittles? Like almost this, that's disgusting after coffee. I said, I did. Not very disciplined. I was embarrassed. Maybe God needs to purge some things from your life that you just know don't belong there. And to get serious about following Jesus, you know, I can't do that if this is in the way. That's the second thing. The third thing is this. Begin a disciplined regimen, actual schedule that you stick to. Get up in the morning at a certain time and read God's word. Pray at a certain time. My wife has been semi-annoying me with her phone alarm. It goes off like every hour, and we're someplace, and it'll like buzz, and sometimes you won't hear it. It's her reminder to just pray. Like That's one of those moments where I can't really be annoyed with it. Like She's like, it's my God alarm. Like What are you going to say about that? I don't know. Could you just not do it around me? Or... But that's her discipline. She just has been really challenged to pray for certain people. And so she said alarm. It's just a discipline. Fourth thing is find a coach, a mentor, 
someone that will keep you accountable. Some of believers in our life, we just don't have that person. When I work out or when I play basketball in the morning with some friends, I love if a friend, where were you yesterday? It's like it was cold outside. I was sleeping in. I have people in my life, and you need spiritual people around you that say, what are you doing? And I know Shannon's talked about that. Put yourself in an environment where you can put yourself in a real high challenge accountability environment where people can say, you know what, I'm going to challenge you in this the way that you're giving your life to this. And we don't like to hear that. It's uncomfortable. But put yourself in that position. Join a community group. I know you have them here because I saw them on your website. Join something. Get involved in studying God's word with other people. Dive into serving here. Dive into missions here. And this last one, if you have a spouse or a family, make plans to do it with them. So many families are fractured, and I do my own little spiritual growth thing over here. Worship as a family. Train your kids. Be devoted to like doing that together with others. Verse 8 says that godliness has value in every way. Supreme value for all of life. Why? Because it holds promise for the life, this life and the next. It matters greatly. It's a secure thing. All the other things in your life are fleeting. But growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord is not. It will never disappoint. Friends, let me just close with verse 9. And I didn't have a clock, so whatever time we did today, that was Shannon's deal. You need to get a clock or something. (laughs) Verse 9, let me just read it. Because we have our hope, or rather the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, 10 For this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Wherever you are at, you need to hear and heed these words. This is a worthy, trustworthy thing. You can trust God at his word today in training you in godliness, that that alone will bring delight to your soul. Go and try and do other things, I dare you. They will never give you the joy that God offers in his son Jesus. You will not be fulfilled in that way. Jesus invites you to himself wherever you're at, but it requires full acceptance, your full devotion. Following Jesus was never done halfway. Jesus said it's all or nothing, cost, commitment, high invitation, but high challenge. You guys study this, I think, in Matthew, and this is the Luke version. Whoever wants to gain his life must lose it. Whoever would follow would need to deny himself and pick up his cross. Training will not be easy. It never is. But the joy and growth and accomplishment of crossing the finish line, that is well, well, well worth it. Where the Lord himself looks at you and says, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm going to pray for us, but as we respond to God's word today, you're just invited to celebrate communion together, to come and just pause And just be reminded, that's why we do this, to be reminded of what Jesus did for us sinners. And a way of reminder is by saying, Jesus, your life that you gave for me was a high price. And we were bought with that high price. And I give my life back to you in service of the King. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your faithfulness, and your word. Father, I know that you desire the people of this church and all of your children to grow, to not be stagnant, to not 
backslide, to not walk away from you, to not think that we can just maintain a spiritual life. You want us to know you better and deeper and more fully. And that comes with you wanting to challenge us more full, fully and deeply, maybe in ways that nobody would expect today. Father, I pray that we would know of the love of Christ in such a deep way that we would desire to give ourselves fully to things or even remove things that are a hindrance to that. Father, as we celebrate communion together, would you just fill our hearts with great praise and adoration for you, what you've done? Would the love of Christ compel us out these doors today in a way that says, whatever you have for us, we desire to pour our life into training ourselves for godliness. May you be glorified. May the name of Jesus be exalted in our lives that we would strive for holiness in a way that people would see who he is because of our lives. I pray for this church. Thank you for its leadership. Pray that you bless them and that they would carry out the mission you called them to. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.